Quattro Nelson back in the laboratory. And he brought Gunner with him too. Gunner's in the background giving us some support. So we need it. Give me signals. <laughs> uh, like point, baseball. Yeah. Baseball, yeah. Point to the time, like the deacon in the back when it's time to get out of the sermon. <laughs> uh, I don't have any deacons. <laughs> <laughs> well, that solves that issue. Um, Alan Nelson, known as Quattro, to those dearest to you, you are a I mean, prolific author now. How how many books do you have to write in order to be considered prolific? I don't know, brother. I don't know if I'm considered prolific. But. Well, um, all that to bring up, coming out with your third book, A Change of Heart, what is that book going to be about? This book is about the doctrine of regeneration, obviously from a Reformed Baptist perspective, but laying out the the understanding of what regeneration is and then it's really a two-part book so one walking through what regeneration is and dealing with you know monergistic regeneration and then similar to the book we'll talk about today all of grace you know from Spurgeon but salvation is all of grace and then the second half is talking about why does it matter okay so what you know, there's monergism, there's synergism, doesn't matter. Does it really matter if we get this right? And my contention, of course, is it does matter. So some people have asked me, you know, well, what's different about this book compared to From Death to Life? You know, my first book, How Salvation Works. And I would say that From Death to Life is really just laying out a broader ordo salutis for the layperson and a change of heart is more in-depth, specifically about the doctrine of regeneration. Can you call Danny? I think he's confused. Did we say six? We didn't say six, did we? No. <laughs> he thinks six. <laughs> oh. Uh, he'll be here soon. Um, sorry to m- mess you up. Well, cool. Um, what... what Personally, in your own life, what were some things that you're seeing, maybe where you're at um, in our area, um, what's going on, and just the context we're in? What What were some personal things that kind of served as catalysts mm. for you to write this book? I was called the ministry... I would say in 2006, summer of 2006. So that's almost 17 years now. So I've been trying to teach people the Bible. And I'm not saying in all those 17 years I was mature and all that, but but I've been in the the game, as it were, for 17 years. And what I've learned in those 17 years is the Bible's definition of, of what a Christian is, 
and our definition around here of what, I, and not just around here. I've I've been in Kentucky. I've traveled around and 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 preached in in different states. Um, the definition of a lot of people in our country of what a Christian is, the majority, the vast majority of people in our country define Christ, a Christian differently than how the Bible does, and how the Bible defines a Christian is. Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, you must be born again. And without the new birth, there's no Christianity. And the new birth absolutely transforms who we are. So so the first part of the book, you know, kind of lays out like this, the necessity of regeneration. Why, why do we need to be born again? And the sovereignty of regeneration, that is, God is the one who brings about a regeneration. You can't do it. You don't want it, and you can't do it. And then the totality of regeneration. So regeneration as depravity is total. Regeneration is total too. Touches everything. Doesn't make us perfect. But every part that was broken by the fall, as far as internally, regeneration touches. Our thoughts, our will, our affection, affections. And then finally, the longevity of regeneration and that's an important truth to remember is like when you're born again, and this is where we this is where we differ from our Presbyterian brothers and sisters. That they they under they wouldn't say you're unborn again. But but what we say is it's only those born again who are in the new covenant. And once you enter the new covenant, you can't get out of it because you've been born again. God's law is written on your heart. Your sins have been forgiven. And you know God. And so that's how the first part of the book. And, and we do a little bit of historical survey, you know, but but the the catalyst, I guess that's kind of back to your question. The catalyst of the book is just looking around and seeing an anemic Christianity in our day. And a lot of even people who are pastors and leaders in churches and evangelicalism and the Southern Baptist Convention and all those things, they don't really want to touch this. You know, like everybody know, like, you know, that man that's living with his girlfriend and, you know, but they don't want to say he's not a Christian, you know, the, well, he's backslidden or something like that. And you're like, and look, I know there's a thousand scenarios we could talk about, but the, the reality is those who are Christians, true Christians have been given a new heart. Yeah, and because they've been given a new heart, they have new life. Amen, the Bible yeah. says, um, uh, Ephesians chapter four, um, the old man, the new man, mm-hmm. new life, new creation language. Okay, so you you mentioned earlier, th- there are clearly, I mean, clearly differences between um, uh, the the a, a pastor's practice of ministry whether he believe a monergistic mm-hmm. regeneration mm-hmm. or a synergistic salvation, mm-hmm. um, you're exactly right. What what would that look like? What do you, what are some differences? Like, say I'm somebody who doesn't know the lingo. I yeah. hear what you just said, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to spot a pastor uh, who knows or believes in monergism or synergism based mm-hmm. off of his language. Mm-hmm. Could you help me out? What are some things that I should listen for or practices that I should um, consider in the worship service that that pastor is kind of 
um, leading over. Yeah. I don't want to, I, I don't want to paint monergism as everybody who holds the monergism is the good guys. And, you know, Oh, because, come on, man, because, please. Because, I love the good guy, bad guy. Yeah. What's well, wrong with but that? Because there are some, I would say probably some extreme views where you say hyper Calvinism, you know, where they would, they would be technically, technically monergistic, you know, but their practices aren't, you know, so when I say monergism, I want people to be clear. We must give a real, genuine gospel call as we proclaim the gospel to people. Like, you must choose Christ. You must repent. You must believe the gospel. You know, only only those people. You, you scared me. I was thinking you were meaning at 6 a.m. Like, what in the world? So we haven't started yet. We're just basically hanging out and recording it. Um He's just kind of getting into his book a little That's bit. That's a really sweet hoodie. Man, you in the blood gang or something now? <laughs> we can't post that. That that took a turn. <laughs> I, hey, we need to get another one of those for uh, this spot right here. In that spot. Another one of what? That microphone. Yeah. Or the microphone stand. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know we have a fourth one of these, right? Really? Mm-hmm. No, it's in that it's in that box. I'm sure it'll fit on that. Well, not that stand, no. Sorry to detract, but hey, s- apologies guys. No worries. I dude. could have slept another 20 minutes. Yeah, you could have. But instead he got here earlier to advertise his big new book, A Change of Heart. So he's at um answering the question how to spot a synergistic pastor versus a monergistic pastor. Well, first of all, if I see a if I see a hoodie like Danny's wearing, <laughs> synergistic, monergism. Right oh, there. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but the blood, baby. Come well, on. but but what I was saying, Danny, is like I just want to be clear. Like monergism, it, it uh, these words come from two Greek words, uh, um, the the word for energy, uh, and the, the you know the word for for work, and then the word for alone or with. You know, mono alone, sin with, so like synagogue, yeah, the, um, an assembly together, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you um, work? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, do you work? Th- yeah, so symphony, symphony, same. Anyways, come on. So does do you work with God or do you work alone or does God work alone in bringing about the new birth? And so I, I was just trying to say that you know, in in monergism, I, I think it can get a bad rap. And you say, well, you know, then we just you know. God just strikes people with a, a grace bolt of lightning or whatever. Well, there's some truth. Completely passive. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's good. We implore people to repent. Mm-hmm. We point them to the gospel. We plead with them. We, um, Paul says, we implore you mm-hmm. on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so, if you're if you're if I maintain that the gospel is not preached, it, or, or I should put it this way, evangelism is not done without a response, without an offer of response. You know, you technically you can proclaim the gospel without saying, you know, this is, uh, you, without saying you need to repent and believe it. You know, the gospel technically is Christ and what Christ has done. But you haven't really been faithful in the proclamation of that gospel unless you also include you need to repent and believe the gospel. Yeah. 
So I've, I've kind of hammered on my camp for a minute, but you know, the, the synergistic side though. So, so, a a, a monergistic pastor is going to faithfully proclaim the gospel. He's going to depend on God. He's going to, you know, offer real and meaningful opportunity um, for response. By the way, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm kind of thinking outside the church, but like inside the church, I'm not saying like you have a, you, you have an invitation at the end or whatever. Like the invitation is to repent and believe the gospel, mm-hmm. you know, but, but too often now you have some good synergists. Okay. But too often with, the synergism a mindset is you have to do something to create some sort of environment where these people are going to be, they wouldn't use this language emotionally manipulated so that they will make a decision, you know? And actually I would say this, if you really hold the synergism, then most, most pastors aren't doing enough, right? Because there's so much more you could do, you know, to try to talk people into cooperating with. They're being they're being lazy. Yeah, I'm good. That's what Finney did, you know. Uh, he came up with a whole liturgy almost. Yeah, this is how you do it because he saw it and he's like, you know, this is how you do it. Like that's why. By I said, the way, he was so influential. Uh, we have a Russian friend talking about the altar call that they had. Yeah. In all their churches. Yeah. I, I would maintain a lot Worldwide. of what happened. And I know there are people who disagree, but I, a lot of what happened in the uh, Second Great Awakening, especially by the end of it, I would say uh, wasn't really, wasn't actually revival. I'd agree with you on that. So you could say then, based off of your answer, if you go to a church and you see an altar call. You got a pastor up there. Head bowed, eye closed. Raise your hand if you you know want to do these things. This is your verse. Music in the background. I see that hand. Yeah, yeah. Now is the time. No, no more waiting. I've heard of people actually, and I've actually been in service that actually try to get to come up for anything. Like, okay, they won't come up for salvation. Well, I. Uh, if you had a sinful thought this week, come to the altar. You know, like you're just trying to get people to come up yeah. there. You oh, know, I'm having flashbacks. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. A fellowship of Christian athletes in high school. If you've never been on this football field, and this may be the only time you ever touch the field, son, just come on down. And and then yeah. what do they do? They count all those kids as salvation decisions for Christ. Yeah, yeah. When that's bef- a broad. That's such a broad. Yeah. Oh, well, that that many people got saved. It was like, well, no, but that many people made decisions in some way or another for Christ. But it's then like, they turn around and report it. Hey, we had a thousand kids make a decision for Christ. At right, the, right, right. But that's why they term it that way. So that's that's you um. Know, so we, that any little any little thing can be, you know, reported or a quote decision for Christ. And it's hard. It's hard to be in our camp because sometimes, and, and you, we want to watch this and we want to be careful and guard against this, but, but you can be accused of just being so judgmental and cold. But the reality is you just seen this happen time and time again, the social media, 500 kids got saved. Okay. You're waiting on it. Well, if 500 kids got saved in this area, we're fixing to turn over, the whole town, you know, revival. Yeah. It doesn't happen, you know, and you're like, no, with the doctrine of regeneration, you're not, you're not now in the, you know, a, a fruit checking, you know, person that's just really hard on people. But the reality is if you're born again, there's fruit, 
There's yeah, something the key. That's right. You you and, and and by the way, here's the fruit. You love Christ. You love his church. You love the Bible. You hate sin. You're not perfect. And I, I told our church the other night we're talking about the doctrine of repentance. You know, and and there are times that people can be born again and they can still you know they can be rescued from a rough lifestyle, and they can still be doing things that are sinful that they didn't even realize. You know, for example, maybe the way they're dressing, you know, like provocatively or something like that, and they just hadn't realized it yet. And so the church comes alongside them with grace and love and patience, says, hey, you know, the Bible says this. But when they hear that, they're like, yes, we we just want to please the Lord. That's what we want to do. Instead of most of the time when when you address someone who professes to be a Christian, you're like, Hey, you know, you know, you, you can't be living with your boyfriend. You know, they're like, you're judgmental. You can't, you know, that's right. not, that's not the right. heart of someone that wants to obey the king. Yeah. So we don't get in, but just to be clear, we don't get into the kingdom through obedience. You know, like you just, Hey, you obey the king and you get in. No, no, no. We get into the kingdom by what Jesus tells Nicodemus. You must be born again. But yeah. That regeneration changes us it yeah. really changes us yeah man you're getting me fired up as usual every time i'm around you you get me fired up brother uh why don't you come to church in perryville <laughs> you know what i'm if, actively recruiting now <laughs> if, if if d if d2 keeps sizing me up on the jujitsu map i'm gonna be coming out to your church He he's on his last straw as one of my pastors there's good thing there's six of them we have some deacon openings <laughs> how do I apply? <laughs> how do I apply? Let's, let's make this typical. Hey, you're that chicken. You'll you'll change church memberships before. <laughs> I don't want to tear I didn't my know, ACL. I didn't know man. it was that. I didn't know it was that bad. Like, I don't want to tear my ACL, man. Can you uh, can you lead worship by any chance? Uh, I can. <laughs> <laughs> that means that means no. Gunner Gunner starts getting like all all alpha male in the room. Leading worship is mine. <laughs> I, I got Gunner. I, I do. He's have about to, say, to flip Gunner, tables. Gunner does. Gunner does a great job. So one more question. You've really already answered it in a sense, but specifically with your book. Um, you know, in a few paragraphs, why should I read your book? Because you like me. End. Let's say I hate Quentin. <laughs> I hate him. Well, that's a long list. You can get on that, but uh, yeah. Here, here's the thing that I think about this book that I hope that I hope is helpful. This book tries to combine. There, there's not a. There's not just a ton of books out there solely on the doctrine of regeneration. You know, there's there's it's it's kind of incorporated in other books on the Ordo Salutis, which is fine. But but but. I, what I hope that this book accomplishes that other books don't is it's it's the whole thing is on the doctrine of regeneration and then really how that doctrine ties in to so much more. You know, the second half of the book is about the scriptures. You know, I know it's kind of silly, but um, I, I'm not just about scripture, but if, if you don't believe this doctrine rightly, well, you don't rightly believe the scriptures. If you don't believe this doctrine rightly, you're not going to understand church membership rightly. If you don't believe this doctrine rightly, you're going to go awry on the on the uh, on the ordinances. And if you don't believe this doctrine rightly, 
you're going to get evan- you're going to mess up evangelism. Mm. You know, I think those who understand this doctrine rightly are the best evangelists. You know, so read the book because it's uh, it's because I spent so long writing it. <laughs> <laughs> read the read the book because I think it handles uh, regeneration faithfully, and then it shows how getting this doctrine matters right mm. practically. That's good. And the when, book's out, right? Well, yeah, I was going to say Wednesday release. Yeah, so we got to talk to Jeff Player, but uh, but but the goal is, of course, the goal about a month ago was maybe March, but here we are almost in March. So I'm actually telling people like the first part of April, kind of, because just in case, still gotcha. waiting on a couple of endorsements. And so when it when it comes out, where can where can people get it? Free Grace Press. Oh, awesome! Yeah, freegracepress.com. So. We'll, we'll put um we'll put links to your book in our bio for this for this book here. Yeah, there's links already out, you know, on the Free Grace Press, so you can look. You can you can actually look. Is it, it for up. presale? I don't I don't know that we're doing presale yet. I'm not sure. I don't think so. So we'll include that link to. It's just kind of like a forthcoming. Yeah, I think announcement. Is, yeah, yeah, forthcoming. Okay. It's got some endorsements on it. And right. Well, that's what's up. Uh, again, Quattro, thank you for being on here. Um, I don't know. I don't know why you keep coming on so early in the morning. Why? So early. Oh, I don't. I hadn't figured it out either. But I like you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good. Well, we get to tell our wives, "Hey, honey, I have a serious podcast. I'm going to do. Um, it's an engagement that I've been scheduled for." But the truth is, it's really just a big hangout where we hang out and talk theology together. And you've just spilled the secret. Now, if they listen to (laughs) this. Good thing they don't listen to it. So, um, here we are starting a new book. and uh, Two things to show you how much we like you. Asking you to be on so many times. Number two, I got up early to make so much French press from Zateo Coffee, um, Conway. Which apparently Danny's not want to drink any of. Fixed him some too, but you know you shine with with coffee in your system, right? You remember that talk, but um, well, this has caffeine in it. But there's something about coffee. Gives you a little extra juice. That's what you said. We'll see. Um, and then number three, third reason we third way we show how much we like you is. This is the episode that's kicking off all of grace. Mm. So you're on the kickoff episode. You're up there with the ranks of Dr. Bush, who helped us kick off um, Pilgrim's Progress. Speaking of Free Grace Press, um, this series that we're doing on all of grace is uh, sponsored by Free Grace Press. They've been good enough and kind enough to um, donate us these books that you can find. Look just like this. Find them on all, uh, freegracepress.com. Uh, by C.H. Spurgeon, of course, edited by Stephen McCaskill. And we also have a book giveaway that we're going to be doing. So if you want a free All of Grace book, um, pretty simple on how you can win it. Um, follow our page. So many of you already have. Uh, so many that are already listening, let me be clear. Uh, follow our page. You can share our social media pages, which you just simply find it at Classic Cast or The Classic Cast on uh, Twitter and Instagram. And then thirdly, just leave us a review of your favorite episode, and we will ship you a free copy of All of Grace. Really short book, um, about 110 pages, and um, so far I'm enjoying it. 
D2, what's your thoughts? What do you got to add? Take away. Yeah, when we're picking books for this thing, we, we you know, if, uh, for our consistent listeners, they know this, but we pick variety. Uh, and so this is definitely a devotional or evangelistic work. It's basically Spurgeon putting a short work about the gospel. And uh, Spurgeon is an evangelistic uh, preacher. I mean, that's that's really all he did uh, was evangelize, preach Christ uh, in his preaching ministry. And uh, that's what this book is. It's a short, uh, you know, in the introduction or the uh, or chapter one, rather. Uh, what he's what he's writing is he's saying, look, hey, this is. Uh, this is for you. This is a small work dependent upon the Lord that some may read and come to faith. Uh, that, that that's the that's the sole purpose in which he in, in which he wrote it. It's been really good for me. It's been a long time since I've read a book like this. Just a simple book on the gospel with the aim. You can tell he's not aiming to impress anyone. He's not aiming to, um, you know, uh, I mean, he's just got one objective. He's just like, well, maybe if, maybe if somebody's not preach, not converted, maybe somebody's not going to come hear me preach or go hear a preacher preach, but maybe they'll pick up this book and read it and the Lord may use it to bring them to Christ. And so, uh, evangelistic. Is a gospel call basically on every page in, in one form or another, just talking about uh, the grace of God, uh, the grace of the gospel, and um, uh, calling sinners to it. Mm. And that's good. Preaching the good news. Man, it's, it's been good for my soul. I mean, I read the scriptures regularly, but this has been a while since I've just read a book. Like a, just a devotional book on the goodness of the gospel, yeah. and that's that's what this is. Easy read. I haven't met anybody who doesn't like to read Spurgeon yet, and so he's pretty popular. If you had a Saturday to yourself where you had nothing planned, you could read this book in a day. Oh, sure. Oh, wait, uh, easy, easy, easy. Yeah. So even an Arkansan. Yeah, even Arkansan. Now, they may only understand half of it because they're from Arkansas, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad not very many of our listeners are from Arkansas. <laughs> I'm from Louisiana, so I can do about half that book in a day. <laughs> See, yeah, Trinity can do half the book in a day. He's like uh, Jim Carrey off of Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> if if you <laughs> let me say something that let me say something that we can learn from on this, and I'm talking about the reform camp because we're we're really we're really strong. I'm, I'm talking about those who are evangelistic. We're really, really strong on, you know, repent, 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 and amen. And we ought to be strong on that. But what Spurgeon does in this book is he shows a shepherd's heart, you know. Uh, there are times, I, I've had this conversation real recently, but there there are times, you know, the difference between a baseball bat and a scalpel, you know, and sometimes you're you're going in there just swinging, you know. But but sometimes you need that that pastoral care and precision, and you hear the tenderness of Spurgeon as he's pleading, 
you know, through this and walking through this with, with folks. And I, I just think it's, it's something that we can learn from. Well, you know, Spurgeon mm-hmm. was very evangelistic and, and look, uh, you know, Cole, you and I, we've street preached together. Um, we have, you know, and, and some guys in our church, we street preach and I, and I love it and I endorse it. And we ought to be doing these things. I think churches ought to be doing these things, but, but we need to remember, we need to remember a love for Christ and a love for sinners. And so you just, you just see that here in Spurgeon. He's just a great model. He wasn't a perfect pastor. Of course, you know, there's a lot of stuff about his life that you would tell guys don't do that. You know, you wait until Saturday to put your sermon together. Don't do that. You know, <laughs> Spurgeon, he can do that. Right. But if he were here today, he would say, don't do that. But, uh, but, but there's a lot from his life, a lot from his life that we need to learn mm. from. And this, this, this book is a good example. Yeah. Two things that I'll say piggybacking off of what both of you guys said, and then we can hop in. Um, number one, Danny, you mentioned how, uh, we like to shift gears mm-hmm. in what we read and tell me about it. We go from Bavink to Bunyan, Rutherford to Spurgeon. So we're going to like high level theology. Do you want to know the theology reform dogmatics, technical as technical can be? Bavink started off and then boom, an allegory of John Bunyan on Pilgrim's Progress. And then we go to Lex Rex, which, let's be honest, the further we got into Lex Rex, the harder it was to do it. Yep. Um, it, it's a tough book to read, which is why if we didn't have a podcast on it, I probably we, wouldn't, I wouldn't have, have read it. it. I wouldn't have read it, yeah. In fact, I, I tried to read it, got two chapters in. I was like, eh, I'm going to wait on this. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Then you have this one. It's like, how could you not finish it? How could you not finish mm-hmm. it in two days? Kind of. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Second thing I'll do to piggyback is, Quattro, you're exactly right. Um, we have two hands with our theology. Number one, precision. Number two, accessibility. We want the theology that we know to be accessible. And a lot of times, I'll point the finger at myself, a lot of times I get so focused on precision, 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 I don't really care about accessibility. Maybe I lose my mind and try to, you know, focus on a debate or Twitter world or whatever it may be. Uh, where I just forget, man, this needs to be simply understood. Grace. Let's talk about grace, the theology of grace, the doctrines of grace, and these things. And the truth is, um, the need for grace, as we're going to be talking about today, is simple to understand. Yeah. Um, the reception of grace, simple to understand. What grace is, simple to understand. And it's clear that Spurgeon wanted to present grace in such a simple way for the sake of sinners to be saved by grace mm-hmm. and for the glory of God who gives grace. And it was convicting to me because even in our street preaching times, it's easy for me to forget how I need to be, of course, razor sharp on what I'm preaching, the the precision of it, but also um, which you mentioned earlier, um, I need to be <clears throat> deep in love for the sinner who is hearing this and calling them to believe these things. Please believe them. Just like the Apostle Paul, we plead with you, be reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. You know, I beseech you, be reconciled to God. 
Um, and it was convicting to me as I'm reading these things just to see Spurgeon is trying to move every intellectual obstacle out of the way. Look, here it is. Just receive it. Here's my goal of this book. Believe these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to diving into this simple book. And um, Do y'all think he would have been um, criticized in our day? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, you're talking even even by even he was by criticized like, in his day, right? 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 I'm he talking about he, day. he was criticized in his day by you know obviously the Armenians, you know, but he was criticized in his day by some Calvinists. This is what I mean. The question yeah. is salvation. Yeah, yeah, this is what I mean because of uh, because of his preaching or mm-hmm. his books like this and his evangelistic heart. Yeah. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And and that's the thing, like that's where I'm trying to draw, draw the balance earlier. Is like we're unapologetically monergist, but in my opinion, a true monergist. Go go ahead and hit me with like a. Hey, we're <laughs> we're studying with, it with just a taste. A, a, a true a true monergist is there we go. One who believes in a well meant offer of the gospel. Is the well is the well dry now? And I take the last bit. A true monogist is one who one who believes the free offer yeah, the gospel. Yeah, yeah. The well, yeah, the well meant like you know, look, you you really can be saved if yeah. you will cast yourself. Yeah, yeah. Upon Christ, yeah. I, I was listening or I was reading by a little book by Joel Beakey. By the way, is re- really good on um the doctor. It, of by the way, Joel Beakey's he's good to bring up. Not to steal your thunder. No, go ahead. But he has taken heat over preaching like this. Yeah. I mean, real heat mm-hmm. in so his life answer. and ministry. Is it yeah. like, there's your answer. Is it an accusation of leaning too like, heavily on grace or something? Or like what are they, what specifically? Uh, well, he um, he comes from a hyper-Calvinist tradition. Okay. And they don't think that you should offer the gospel to anybody. That it's not... Uh, is that what Spurgeon kind of ran into in his his day as well? Well, the, it's kind of like uh, that's the ditch that the Reformed tradition sometimes finds itself in, or some in the Reformed tradition find themselves in. Um, Spurgeon's main thing was the was the beginnings of liberalism. That that was the main the downgrade controversy was his main thing. He never. Uh, I mean, yeah, he got criticism for uh, well-meant offer preaching, but that wasn't the thing that I think. I don't think he minded that too much. But there's he said, a, "I'm going to preach." I'm yeah. just going to preach. There's a <laughs> there's a reason that today in almost every conservative tradition of Christianity that Spurgeon is liked. Right. You know what, right. what I mean? Is like you can get the whole, yeah. Most Methodist, landmark Baptist, yeah. Reformed Baptist, free will, yeah. Baptist. Free I mean, will, yeah, you know, totally anti-Calvinist. Presbyterians yeah. love Spurgeon. Yeah, yeah. In, in, yeah. So, yeah, the answer, the answer, I think, is unquestionably yes. Now, were you, that, were you about to say about Joel Beakey? Oh, um, oh yeah, I was it. reading his book on the doctrine of assurance, and yeah. you know, he, he, one thing he's saying is like, sinners don't, don't hate the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election is the sinner's friend. Without the doctrine of election, 
no one gets saved. Yeah, amen. And amen. and so the doctrine of election means that there is there is a way to God. And, yeah. And and that the scriptures there's never one time in the scriptures that someone genuinely comes to Christ or comes to God and God says, yeah. no, no, you know? And so obviously we know if someone does come to God, it's, it's as the book says, all of grace. But the reality is Spurgeon, Spurgeon really believed in putting that to people in such a way that, you know, you're not cold toward them. You're not saying to them, well, I hope you're elect. You know, really, really, I would even, I would go, I would say the doctrine of election is really for the church, you know. Um, and so, but, but the point is he was, uh, he was showing them and especially which chapter is it? We, it might be like chapter two or is we, per, we don't have to go in order. Okay. But the, but the point ahead. is he says, uh, he talks about that God justifies the ungodly, you know, and he mm-hmm. starts talking to him. That's like, the main theme of the yeah. first first few chapters yeah you th- you thought that christianity was for the good you right. know you thought it was for like good people like no christ died for the ungodly yeah you know and taking taking that message to people so anyway i was kind of going off track there but yeah i think no, i man. think he's, there I think, is no no because yeah, yeah there's no off track well, on this I think, podcast I think spurgeon would be i think i think his his evangelistic heart his idea of the well-meant offer all those things i think he would be find himself under criticism from the experts in the reform world. For, yeah, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's what I think that's what Danny's question was all about. Do you think you'd be criticizing our day? You meant in specifically in our circle. Yeah. Of yeah. course, everybody out of our circle and, yeah. and our, of various camps are going to criticize him for different things, but in our circle too. And I, oh, look, the, I uh, don't look, look at this soft preacher. He's, you know, yeah. <laughs> look at it. Look at this soft preacher. Mega yeah. church pastor. Yeah, mega church pastor, yeah. soft preacher. He's not going to preach the hard things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, w- I would caution us, you know, and and because I'm in this camp, I'm, I'm in this camp. Yeah. yeah, we have a small church. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Oh, there's and, a, you don't have a mega church out in no, Perryville? No, no, oh, we sure don't. Because he's a monogistic pastor. And, and so, well, what I'm saying is, you can pat yourself on the back, but we got a small church because I'm preaching the gospel. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there can be some element of truth to that. However. There, don't don't put that feather in your cap, you right. know. And 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 Spurgeon, Spurgeon sure wouldn't commend you for that. Like preach and and plead and see God work. And and so we have to kind of have that balance. That yes, preaching the truth. Sometimes you're going to be small. Fear not, little flock. That's what Jesus says. To right. Us. Fear not, right. little flocks. Father, it's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But, uh, do, but you, do not despise the day of small things. Amen. Yeah. yeah. So, but on the other on the other hand of that, I'm saying um, the pushback I'm giving is we need to have a, an evangelistic heart, a heart for sinners. You know, our our first allegiance, our priority is Christ. Yeah. But but with the priority for Christ, we have a love. We have a true love for sinners. Yeah. Amen. I think. Go ahead, D two. Um. I don't want this to derail you. I was just going to say, well, I think this is a great place to jump in just to illustrate what we're talking about. He opens chapter two. He says, I heard a story. I think it came from the North Country. I don't know what the North Country is. Canada. But Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the great white North in Canada. Probably Scotland. 
Scotland or maybe Ireland, because isn't Ireland up there somewhere? Yeah, I believe so. A minister called upon a poor woman intended to give her help, for he knew that she was very poor. With his money in hand, he knocked at her. He knocked at the door, but she did not answer. He concluded she was not at home and went his way. A little after, he met her at the church and told her that he had remembered her need. I called at your house and knocked several times, and I suppose you were not at home, for I had no answer. At what hour did you call, sir? It was about noon. Oh, dear, she said. I heard you, sir, and am so sorry I did not answer, but I thought it was the man calling for the rent. Many poor women know what this meant. Now it is my desire to be heard, and therefore I want to say that I am not calling for the rent. Indeed, it is not the object of this book to ask anything of you, but to tell you that salvation is all of grace, which means free, gratis, for nothing. Boom. That's the first thing that I underlined in this book. It, I'm, he's, he's like, I'm, I'm writing to you, not calling for the rent. First, first, he's writing this whole book like he's writing it to the individual reading it. Uh, I, I, uh, I love the nature in which he wrote it, and so he's writing to you. He's writing to the reader. He's not just writing a book that will be read, but it's very personal. Uh, and he just starts out saying after what, in modern days, chapter one is really just an introduction or acknowledge, not acknowledgments, but um, like, a, like a preface. Chapter two really is chapter one. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, 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 what a modern book would be, and it's like a page and a half. And uh, this really gets down. This really gets down to it. Is w- what is you know, what am I trying to achieve in this book? It's like, look, grace is free. I'm knocking on your door here, asking nothing of you. There's there's nothing of request. There's nothing you can give. There's nothing. Uh, you know, I'm not here asking for the rent, but I'm here as a minister to give. Yeah. He says this on the next page, piggybacking with what you, the quote you just read. Do not refuse the Lord Jesus who knocks at your door, for he knocks with a hand which was nailed to the tree for such as you are. Because we get to Revelation yeah. 3, and in our reform camp, we like to say, oh, but he's writing a letter to the church. It's to the church. Behold, I stand at the door. Knock is not an altar cause to the church. You're right. At the same time, when we are preaching this gospel, calling sinners to believe, we let them know, like, look, I'm, I'm not trying to figure out this whole, are you elect or da-da-da, this and that kind of thing. I'm preaching the gospel, calling you to believe. Mm-hmm. Telling you about the grace yeah. found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Spurgeon does, mm-hmm. which is maybe one thing that would get him some flack even from our circle, the guys who do nothing but read theology books all day. Do not refuse the Lord Jesus who knocks at your door. Mm-hmm. We've seen that abused so much. And I, and I it's will been say abused. That. It has it's been, been abused. It has sure. been abused. You know, when, For sure. And you come across as Jesus as this meek you know, beggar in the rain that just needs to come in, let him in to have some bread and, 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 you know, you can, you can really be on his team and make him glad or whatever. But, and it's, and so it's been misused and, and all of us in here would agree like, Hey, no, that's not how we preach. Right. But at the same time, right. Spurgeon brings us a helpful corrective because if we're not careful, you, you, you yeah. if you're not careful, we will go in that other ditch. Right. Where we come across as cold hearted, you know, right. Like I don't really care if you repent. You just need you just need to know. 
you need to repent, you know? And you're like, no, wait a second. You read this and you're like, dude, Spurgeon, he cares. Yes. You know? Because the person who hates Calvinism hears through the grapevine that Spurgeon is a Calvinist, and but they're skeptical as they're starting to read this book. Oh, here's this man who's cold-hearted, da-da-da-da. You realize, no, Spurgeon just wants you to know that grace is free. Yeah. And that you're called to repent and believe. You know, he's not trying to tell you grace is particular, though it is. That's an attribute of grace. He's trying to point out the essence of grace, which is the the freeness of it. Mm-hmm. How there is no work to be done. Uh, there is no thing to be accomplished. It's a, it's a gift. Yes. It's a gift. It's a... Um, it's aid to the poor woman who can't pay her rent. Um, to you, to use the illustration. Yeah. Well, the well, the and the thing is too, you know, to, to add on to the illustration, I was just thinking about this. The 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 man coming to collect his rent is coming. <laughs> oh man, you know that 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 is Christ. He is coming, but the point is, he's giving you opportunity now that he's paid it, but you've got to trust him. You know. And uh, I, so we need to follow. I, I'll tell you this story real, real quick. I'll try to eliminate yeah. all the names. But there was a there's a situation. We have a brother coming from our, to our church from from he drives a pretty good ways to get there, and he was running into uh, he he he, w- he was on an errand and he went past his church a little closer to his home. So he's just like, well, I wonder what this church is about. So he called him and. The pastor there turns out has some connection with our church uh, from from years ago, and so he says to the man, um, "You know, are you closer? Are you more closely aligned with John MacArthur or Charles Stanley?" You know, the man thinks about it, the pastor, and he says, "Well, Charles Stanley." You know, so it comes out real quick that this brother that comes to our church is a Calvinist, and this other pastor he's not. You know, but but they have an amicable discussion, and everything. But the pastor ends up telling him, oh, and then he says, we drive a, a little ways. We go to church in Perryville. And the pastor's like, oh, you go to Perryville Second Baptist, don't you? you know? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. He was like, you know, they didn't even, but he just knew because we kind of have that reputation. But right. then this guy told him, he, he, he told him a story. He's like, I just don't understand not doing evangelism. You know, he's like, I was in a, you know, I, w- I went on this mission trip and I saw all these Muslims come to Christ. You know, I was like, wait a second. In your mind, you just can't get over this false stereotype of Calvinists. Right, right, right. That they are not evangelistic. Right. And like, we ought to be, don't tell, in fact, I'll say this, don't tell me you're a Calvinist if you're not evangelistic. Amen. At, at, Amen. at the end of Matthew 11, I preached on this a few weeks ago, so it's on my heart. At the end of Matthew 11, Jesus says, he, he thanks God essentially for his election because he says, I thank you that you've hidden this from the wise of the world, mm-hmm. but you've revealed it to little children. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah. Okay. Now what are you going to say? Jesus. Then he says, come to me. Yeah. All who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Right. I mean like this is the heart of our Lord. So yeah, if you're a Calvinist, you're evangelistic and I would, but I would argue too, you're not evangelistic as a mere duty. Cause that's like, well, why do you do it? It's our duty. It is our duty, but it's not a mere. Right. Duty. Right. Right. It's commanded of us, yeah. but we don't only do it because it's commanded of us. We yeah. do it in yeah. joyful obedience. Yeah. 
but also because yeah, yeah. we we love sin like we want to see like we're going to praise god for his judgment you know and god's going to do it right we're going to praise god for his judging the nations but while we are on this earth it is our desire to see people liberated from their bondage to sin. Yeah, that's not that's not the task that the Lord has given his church for this time. We're not we're not to judge the nations now. Right. Uh today is the day of salvation. Um we've been given the ministry of reconciliation mm-hmm. as Christ is reconciled. That's a good word, amen. Yeah. <clears throat> and in this case it's good to go the step further. Uh we don't like you mentioned earlier. We don't just kind of throw it out there and be vague and ambiguous, uh, but we get specific. Since His only and sole object is your good, mm. no one we're out on the street corner. We're preaching specifically your good. Since His sole and only object is your good, incline your ear and come to Him. You know we're not only specific about um, preaching the law. What will happen to you if you don't repent from your law breaking but what will happen to you if you respond to the gospel that is presented to you of the christ who was sent for you the world um he, he goes that step further mentioning uh it may be the hour and come in which you shall enter upon that new life which is the beginning of heaven and then chapter three he starts to get into what Danny mentioned accurately earlier, the theme of the first six chapters of the book, which um, there, we have the first five chapters, which he talks about justification and the justification of the godly, ungodly. And then maybe we can save some time specifically for chapter six, which is uh, a little bit different subject than what we're talking about now, but it's really kind of the implication of what we're talking about now, deliverance from sin. What does he mean, and how does he describe um, the God who justifies the ungodly? How is it that God justifies, and what does this ungodliness look like? Yeah, the, the what I love about this is that uh, it's like Spur. Uh, you know, I learned this from Spurgeon. Uh, well, one, it's biblical, so really, I learned it from the Bible. But Spurgeon's a uh, uh, executing kind of this tactic, if you will, put very well in here. Recently, I was in a, a counseling situation, uh, and this is you know this is fairly common. And uh, this person's not a believer, and they're just recalling the guilt of so many things in their life, and some of it was was. Uh, by by any standard, pretty pretty wicked sin, and they're regretful about it. They you you see a sense of at least some worldly sorrow, and they're just like, I think I've just sinned too much. I think I've just sinned too much. And then, uh, for you know, for the Christian, the best thing, like I I just love that opportunity. It's like somebody uh, clearing out the field for you to throw a touchdown pass. Um, is because, oh, well, that, you know, the good news about that is that that's the pre-qualification. <laughs> that's, the, that's, that's the pre-qualification. Yeah, the, the good news is that um, that's exactly 
who Christ died for is those who have sinned so much. Mm. Uh, that's the that's the prequalification here, and so in the just in this book, I like his form in uh, in, in writing here. Um, in writing here, because at the end of it's like at the end of the paragraphs, you could just read the last sentence of the paragraphs, mm-hmm. and it's like he he makes a case. And Spurgeon can't do anything without preaching, so even he's sitting here writing, but it sounds like a sermon. This, to my knowledge, did not come from a sermon. He actually wrote this, which is unique, because so many things, uh, I think MacArthur learned from him, and all of MacArthur's books are just sermons that, uh, that have been repackaged, but Spurgeon actually wrote this one. If you just read the last lines of the paragraphs, uh, in this chapter at least, you get you you know you get what he's after to justify the ungodly this is a miracle worthy of god uh and it is um if you dear fa- friend feel that you are spiritually sick the physician has come into the world for you uh forgiveness uh must be for the sinful it is absurd to talk of forgiving those who do not need forgiveness pardoning those who have never offended um he goes on to say uh, uh this is true the law is for the self-righteous to humble their pride the gospel is for the lost to remove their despair the sinner is the gospel's reason for existence uh oh says he well wait a second that is all he is when the gospel comes to ju- uh, comes to justify him He's talking about, um, well, I'm not going to read that. He can abundantly pardon. Jesus Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Forgiveness is for the guilty. God justifies the ungodly, and that takes you up where you are now. It meets you in your worst estate. I mean, just na- just nailing it home at the end of each paragraph. You can't just, miss his point. No. You can't. Well, I don't know. And when he talks about ungodly, I just want to throw in there, he, he, he addresses the religious hypocrite too. Yeah. You know? In fact, it's, it's, um, let me see here. I'll find it real quick. But he says, uh, he says, possibly you are a person of another sort. You have regularly attended to all the outward forms of religion, and yet you have had no heart in them at all, but have been really ungodly. Though meeting with the people of God, you've never met with God for yourself. You have been in the choir and yet have not praised the Lord with your heart. You have lived without Mm. any love to God in your heart or regard to his commands in your life. Well, you are just the kind of man to whom this gospel is sent. This gospel which says that God justifies the ungodly. It is very wonderful, but it is happily available for you. So, amen. Yeah. He he goes on that point. He says, now observe further that it must be so that the salvation of God is for those who do not deserve it and have no preparation for it. It is reasonable that the statement should be put in the Bible for dear friend, no others need justifying, but those who have no justification of their own. If any of my readers are perfectly righteous, they want no justifying. You feel that you are doing your duty well and almost putting heaven under an obligation to you. What do you want with a Savior or with mercy 
What do you want with justification? You will be tired of my book by this time, for it will have no interest to you. Man. <laughs> it's just, oh, he's just so... he. I mean, he's just got away with words, man. He's he's good. And, and listen, listen to this, and I, I put a, a corrective an encouragement to us in the reform camp. But for you guys, because I'm reading a different version, but this is the the last paragraph, basically, right before chapter four. But he says, in in my book, it's a long paragraph. It says, "Come mm-hmm. in your present state." I mean, come to your heavenly father in all your sin and sinfulness. Come to Jesus just as you are, leprous, filthy, naked, neither fit to live nor fit to die. Come, you that are the heavy sweepings of creation. Come, though you hardly dare to hope for anything but death. Come, though despair is brooding over you, pressing upon your bosom like a horrible nightmare. Come and ask the Lord to justify another ungodly one. Why should he not? Come along with you, for this great mercy of God is meant for such as you are. I put it in the language of the text, and I cannot put it more strongly. The Lord God himself takes to himself this gracious title, him that justifieth the ungodly. Yeah. He makes just and causes to be treated as just those who by nature are ungodly. Is not that a wonderful word for you? Reader, do not rise from your seat till you have well considered this matter. So we see preach, man, that's uh, preaching. That is preaching. In in such short amount of time, he's doing a really good job of calling all to believe in a way, you know, even telling the self-righteous to um, turn away from their own righteousness and calling the ungodly uh, to turn away from their ungodliness, all for the purpose of getting them to turn to the God who justifies. You know, he tells... Uh, as y'all mentioned, on one hand, he tells the self-righteous this. Uh, the next paragraph after what you read, Danny, said, If I called you, you would not come, and therefore I will not call you under that character. No, I bid you rather look at that righteousness of yours till you see what a delusion it is. It is not half so substantial as a cobweb. Have done with it. Flee from it. And then on the other hand, he's telling the ungodly, don't wait for personal reformation. He says, even so, the gospel will receive you into its halls if you come as a sinner, not otherwise. Wait not for reformation, but come at once for salvation. God justifies the ungodly, and that takes you up where you now are. It meets you in your worst estate. So on one hand, he tells the self-righteous to turn away from their righteousness. And he tells, on the other hand, the ungodly to not wait for personal reformation. Um, Because in truth, the self-righteous and the ungodly are in the same state, in their sin and need of salvation. And they both have the same solution. Yeah, Turning away from their own state, whether it be just pure ungodliness or uh, as what Henry Schugel calls um, carnal religion, mm-hmm. and to look to the God who justifies. Now, on the other side, I want to say this, because we've, we've kind of pushed around our camp a little bit, but I, I want to say this. He never, he never leaves his Calvinism. Oh. You can't. You know, oh. you can't be a faithful evangelist and leave your Calvinism. So he says this, this is in chapter four, but he says, 
He says, He in the splendor of his electing grace, having chosen some of them before the foundation of the world, will not rest till he has justified them and made them to be accepted in the beloved. Now, some people, on, 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 even on both sides, some people are like, this blows their minds. How can you say that God has chosen some people to give his efficacious grace to, yeah. and yet you're going to be so, you're, and, and yet you telling people, come, come, come. We don't, these truths are not intention. Right. They're, they're together. Right. And so, and so Spurgeon, you know, this is why, this is why those not in the reform camp don't like to press Spurgeon too much because they know he goes talking about, you know, God doesn't justify everybody. God right. before the foundation right. of the world has elected his people. And so Spurgeon never leaves that, but he does. And, and one of the, you know, besides the apostle Paul or something, you know, Spurgeon is like one of the, one of the, clearest examples in in history of how one should hold the doctrines of grace rightly and evangelism rightly all to all together yep. you know he doesn't yeah, leave yeah. one premier example from right. church history yeah he doesn't leave one for yeah, the other yeah 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 it's a, it's his basis for sure yeah so you, well i just want to make clear you know so you're not reading this book and be like oh spurgeon in this book he's hiding his calvinism He's right, hiding his right, cat. Right, he's like right. he's trying to do a, a bait and switch here. You know, no, which 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 let's be real. So many pastors do. They kind of shift gears. Let, try to be, hide their. Calvinism. Let's be real. Yeah, there's a lot of closet Calvinist pastors in this area. That, and I'm not saying that. Oh, there's pastors that are trying to be wise. Uh, I'm not talking about those men. I'm not talking about those brothers who aren't showing up to their churches, kicking the front doors in with the doctrines of grace. They're trying to feed, feed their people instead of just throwing it all out there. You know, they're trying to start with the milk, you know, build yeah, them up. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not talking about those those brothers. I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about pastors who actually do intentionally hide or um, or, you know, they'll never come out with, you know, with what they believe. And um, because they don't want to, they're trying to make everyone happy. Exactly, and it's yeah. not just with Calvinism. Those guys exactly, are yeah. mostly the ones like, yeah. if you ask them, you know, well, you know, well, well, what about a woman? Can she preach? Instead of answering that question, they'll answer it in a different way. Like, oh, a woman can do all these things. You know, like they're right. not, no, right, like, right, it? right, like, right. Just, they're just, just answer the question. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and by the way, no, but the but the the idea is you're just going to try to split down the middle and you don't want to ruffle feathers. Yeah. You don't want to be. Yeah. 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 And so you'll, um, or you'll be inconsistent and you'll, you'll, well, I've got a friend. I don't know if he's still like this, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to mention his name, but several years ago he said, well, when it comes to preaching, um, I, uh, study John MacArthur but when it comes to evangelism and church growth, I study in, uh, uh, Andy Stanley. And I'm just like, <laughs> how, I'm just like, dude. I was like, dude. One of these things is not like the other. Yeah. Uh, and so that that's what uh, it tells me is you're a pragmatist. Yeah. Even yeah. in your preaching. Even yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That that's exact. That's exactly right. Or what I was trying to critique about the what I call the closet Calvinists is like they're going to keep. They're going to keep that under 
uh, under a, uh, um, you know, under a covering. They're going to keep that under a covering knowing that, well, if I actually, if I actually come out with that, I'm going to, I'm going to offend people. Yeah. And offend people, but I, you dig even deeper and it's, um, for a paycheck. For things like, uh, I believe these things. I just don't want to lose my job over this. Like, or, or they, yeah, or they know that. Um, it's like, well, I want non-Calvinists and Calvinists alike to come to this church, and so therefore, I'm going to keep it under covering. Yeah. It's like, which is not true either, because we have non-Calvinists that go to our church, and you know, I'm not saying we're the standard. I'm just saying, look, you don't have to. You can pre you can preach like this and be a Calvinist. You don't have to hide it. The best thing that I've learned, you know, is yeah, that's the best thing I've learned. I, I've not, uh, I've tried. I have been in the camp of trying to be wise, but I'm right. not trying to hurt, right? You know, right, hide right. Calvinism, or whatever. And the um, the best thing I learned is you just got to be, you just got to be who you are. You just, yeah, because that's they're, exactly they're, right. They're, and 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 by the way, what I'm saying is that ought to be biblical. Right. right. I'm not just saying like anybody just be, yeah. just be who you are. What I'm saying is you ought to be biblical and then you ought to just be who you are. Like Spur, again, which, you know, this is connected to the book because that's what we're talking about. Like Spurgeon's just, he's just real. He's like, yeah, God chose some. Yeah. Also, c- please come to Christ, you know, and he just, mm-hmm. he just holds it all out there together. And, and we've got, we've got to be transparent, you know, and, and, if you th- if I'm if you think I'm saying well just be transparent about your Calvinism and you're not going to have any problems no <laughs> there'll no. be problems you know we we had a not long ago in our church we had a, a women's Bible study and there was a someone was like you know I'm just really love you know I'm just really loving and understanding Calvinism more and stuff and we had some people that was like you know what what you know <laughs> like and and then trying to explain it and stuff and some questions and you're like well. And then, you know, then I have to get involved and, and explain things. And, but there's, there's some tensions, you know, like as people are coming into this, understand this, you're like, look, I can't resolve all the tensions in your brain. Right. But I can't, but I just can tell you that both are true. And that is God has chosen a people for himself out of the mass of fallen humanity before time began, before the foundation of the world. Only those are going to be saved. And yet, we publish this good news to the nations, and we plead with all to come to Christ. And anybody who doesn't come to Christ, well, it's only because they've rejected God. You know, God, yes, God could show them his grace. Okay. But when you start talking, even, even the title of this book, when you start talking about, well, God, everybody deserves grace, you're like, wait. What? That's not. That's not. That's not what grace yeah. is. That's not grace. So God, in His abundant grace, um, ha- has chosen some, and yet this fuels our evangelism rather than pour Amen. cold water on it. I like yeah. that you. I know. That you go said, ahead. Uh, that you said it fuels it because election is such a. The doctrine of election is such a grace even to the evangelist because you don't absolutely you don't sit there and go out and evangelize somebody and then walk away and go. Oh man, I didn't I didn't word this exactly right, and oh man, maybe I wasn't good enough to because it's not it's not you, it's not the um, because honestly, you we don't preach the gospel perfectly when we go evangelizing, yeah. so you can um, take that burden off of yourself and and 
trust that God will work through uh, an imperfect uh, evangelist. Yeah. Uh, on that on that note, I know we need to make progress, but I think that's something that that is distinct about our day. That you know, uh, I could be wrong, but I think it's something distinct about our day than in Spurgeon's day. Like Spurgeon can write this. Uh, and it's, it, people are going to buy it and people are going to read it. The problem with like Spurgeon opening up and saying, oh, you're ungodly, good. Um, good. That That's the pre-qualifications. That's exactly, that's exactly who the Lord saves. Uh, that's exactly who the Lord justifies because you, you're, the ungodly is who is in need of justification. That message is received so differently today. Um, that, uh, it's, it's, uh, and I'm sure, you know, this is nothing new. Uh, people, you know, people are, are prideful and people are self-righteous, but I think in our day, it's more prominent that you can't even get the words out of your mouth saying you're ungodly. You, you can't, you don't even have time to say good. That's exactly who Christ died for mm-hmm. because it's so defensive on the fact that um, it's like people aren't willing to uh, recognize that they're sinners anymore. Oh, well, even yeah, more than good. that, yeah. listen to this. So there's no tenderness. There's no tenderness of, oh, you're ungodly, but you're there. There's, but there's even a worldly, uh, maybe there's just a worldly sorrow of it. And, you know, in distinction between a godly sorrow and in first Corinthians seven, in our day, there's not even a worldly sorrow right. o- over sin. Yeah, just a pain. <laughs> so you can't even say that it, it's so hard to communicate that your ungodliness, in a way, is good news because this is, you know you are who Christ has has died for. <laughs> and to paint, add more color to that picture, not to add anything else other than you have Christians trying to present the gospel in such a way as to show the sinner that they're not ungodly. Like all of a sudden, the gospel is. You know, you're worthy, this and that and the other. You're not that. You're just broken. You're sick. You're yeah, kind of like, uh, like, uh, um, kind of like the girlfriend who just got broken up with. All her friends right. are just like, "No, you're so beautiful. You don't. De- you know, he doesn't deserve you." Blah blah blah. I found that yeah. illustration offensive, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen to this though. This is what I was thinking when you hear that. Think about this word. Think about words. Think about. Spurgeon's day, think about worldviews, think about all this, and then you think about our day. What does the word ungodly imply to our world today? Well, if you tell someone they're they're ungodly, you are starting the conversation by saying there is a God. Right. Right. That's you know, and so when Spurgeon writes ungod the word ungodly you know, they're my, well, of course, they're secret atheists, you know, uh, you know, but, but at least standard society, you know, you, you accept that. Okay. Yeah. There's got today. It today, it's like you almost have to work yeah. even, you know, you say you're ungodly. It's, it's not only are people pushing back against, I'm not ungodly. I'm fine. No, they're pushing back. Like there's not, a there's god. not even a God. There's yeah. not even a God. Yeah. And I'm God, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they're openly, yeah. whereas people have always 
believe that from Genesis three onwards, like you can be like God. Right. So people right, thought right. that they were God. It's nothing new. Yeah. It's nothing yeah. new, but the difference is in our society, it's okay now to be open about it. Yeah. I'm not, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm not, I'm yeah. in fact, you could imagine people saying this even I'm godly. Right. Cause I'm God. Mm. Right. You right. know? And, and so it's or, a different day. Step further. Step number two. There is a God that you're living against. Yeah. You're ungodly. Because if they do believe in a God, he is by default on their side. Right. You're, oh, right. Yeah. As yeah. they view it. You're ungodly, meaning there is a God yeah. who you're living in rebellion to. It, yeah. How, how many times have you heard, well, only God can judge. And that's saying that <laughs> God's not judging me is right, what they're saying. Right, right, right. I am... Uh, I'm meeting God's standard. God's standard's good enough for me. You know, you may judge me, but in a sense, if if they say only God can judge me, well, they're not scared of God's judgment. Yeah, or right. They don't, they don't have God's fear. judgment. And God may not like my sin, but he loves me because he loves the sinner oh, and he hates ooh, the you're, sin. You're starting to Stepping on toes, man. There's Stepping a guy. On. I'm going to have to stop you there, brother. There, there's, a, there's a guy in our church. Stepping on toes. There's a guy in our church. He teaches <laughs> the youth. And he... Uh, He's been known to tell young people that God hates them. I'm, I'm not going to say any names. I won't say <laughs> Good thing the camera can't see. <laughs> hey, guys, I, I do. So he can't be visually identified. <laughs> <laughs> I like to, uh, let's protect his uh, identification. <laughs> He's like on here with a black face. Yeah. Deep we, voice. We, yeah, we have to blur his face and uh, distort his voice. Yeah. yeah. What I like about these books, I like when the authors get into their own personal life because it brings out history. I'm starting to like history more and more. Uh, don't let me derail you, but on that note, I just want to point out that Spurgeon is ministering in the seabeds of the worldview that has led us to where we are today. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, Darwin... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Marx. Round, uh, Darwin, Marx, right about this time, also Freud, they're, uh, they're tilling the garden that will become what, you know, you know the, the what's in the water today, what's in the cultural wa- thought and water today. Spurgeon's on the front end, we're on the back end. Mm-hmm. We, we're, we're seeing the fruits of that garden. So on page 17, he says this. I so after talking about ungodliness, uh, another th- we see this in our practice where we let the sinner that we're preaching to know. Look, we were also too considered ungodly. There's nothing that we did to save ourselves, kind of thing. He starts to do that on page 17, at the very bottom, when he says, "I was myself stricken down with a horrible sense of guilt, which made my life a misery to me." But when I heard the command, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other, Isaiah 45, 22, I looked and in a moment the Lord justified me. Now Tom Nettles records this moment um, in, in considerable depth in his uh, biography on Spurgeon called Living by Revealed Truth. He says this about Spurgeon's conversion. It happened on January 6th, 1850. School had dismissed early because of an outbreak of fever. Spurgeon's spiritual struggles were not left at Newmarket, but clung to him as he made his journey home to Colchester. Unable to go with his father to his church in Tullesbury, 
because of the snow, Spurgeon made his way to a primitive Methodist chapel on Artillery Street. According to his recollection, the minister that day did not appear, and so an unlearned Methodist ex- exhorter rose to give a brief message on Isaiah forty-five twenty-two, which says, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God is, and there is no one else. The man recognized that a heavy-hearted visitor was among their small number, and he expostulated with Spurgeon directly to look to Christ. He asked Spurgeon to obey this text. Christ has bled and died, risen from the dead, and ascended to heaven. He alone can save. It is not a matter of lifting a finger or a foot or going to college or being rich. Look, 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 the man said. Look to Christ and live. Mm. Spurgeon looked and saw at once the way of salvation. One page later, Nettles records um, Spurgeon giving remarks on, on this moment. Look, look, look. Why, I, Spurgeon, thought I had a great deal to do, but I found it was only to look. I thought I had a garment to spin out for myself, but I found that if I looked, Christ would give me a garment. That's exactly what we're talking about in these chapters. It's not do, 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 or work, 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 but it is simply look to Christ. For salvation, because it is God who justifies the ungodly, and in that in that record of, of Spurgeon's biography, he does away with all self righteousness. Mm-hmm. You can't clothe yourself with a garment, and he does also away with the uh, issue of ungodliness getting in the way of our salvation, because he admitted, "Hey, I was ungodly too, and I found this salvation in God Himself." Yeah, who commanded me, look. Uh, to Christ. Amen. He says, it's look, really no, what you, it, it's looking on, it's not doing, it's looking on what Christ has done. Right. Though you are steeped up to your throat in crime, he says, he can give with a word, remove the defilement and say, I will now be clean. The Lord is a great forgiver. Uh, he mentions in several cases, I mean, uh, with the time that we have left, he's he's talking about this justification. He's talking about the gospel, uh, and he's not being superficial with it. Like on page 21, he gives a good um, illustration of the gospel. He gives a good definition of a gospel. He gives the biblical theology of the gospel. He gives a doctrine of the atonement. He talks about how God's system is the perfect system. Even limited atonement, real quick. Yeah. The Son of God, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, had of old been made the covenant head of a chosen people, that he might in that capacity suffer for them mm. and save them. In other words, I, I push back again, you know, like we're trying to, we're trying to rescue from both ditches, as it were. You know, for those who are the the Armenian who think, well, you know, you can't really be evangelistic unless unless you're an Armenian. It's like, no, no, no. Listen to this, brother. He's right. He has the he has the theology of the scriptures right, and he's holds a high view of election and the doctrines of grace, and yet 
from the other side, he's evangelistic. These two things go together. I mean, I, I, I again, I push them together. You're not really evangelistic unless you're Calvinist, and you're not really a Calvinist unless you're evangelistic. Man, they go together, dude. He, uh, let me read this paragraph um, because it it gives the biblical, in, in a short sense, biblical theology of the gospel. It starts with Adam, page twenty one. The fall by Adam left a loophole of escape. Another Adam can undo the ruin made by the first. When I was anxious about the possibility of a just God pardoning me, I understood and saw by faith he who is the Son of God became man and in his own blessed person bore my sin in his body on the tree. I saw the chastisement Mm. of my peace was laid on him and that with his stripes I was healed. Dear friend, have you ever seen that? Have you ever understood how God can be just to the full, not remitting penalty nor blunting the edge of the sword, and yet can be infinitely merciful and can justify the ungodly who turn to him? It was because the Son of God, supremely glorious in his matchless person, undertook to vindicate the law by bearing the sentence due to me, that therefore God is able to pass by my sin. The law of God was more vindicated by the death of of Christ than it would have been had all transgressors been sent to hell. For the Son of God to suffer for sin was a more glorious establishment of the government of God than for the whole race to suffer. So that answers the question of the chapter. How God can be just and the justifier of the ungodly. Come on, man. Does that not pump you up? And we, we see this intertwining. We're not going to get away from it. This intertwining of, of doctrine and call, mm-hmm. of true doctrine of the gospel and the call to believe the gospel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, for Spurgeon, the doctrine of the gospel inevitably led to the call for sinners to believe the gospel. Amen. That's right. It's like well, time and time again, you know, just repeating, repeating, repeating. But it, it, it wasn't that he was evangelistic in spite of his Calvinism. It was that his understanding of the doctrines of grace yeah. fueled, as the word we used earlier, fueled his evangelism. And then he talks about, which, you know, not to push this along too far, but I love chapter six. I was about to, yeah. And, 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 yeah. and regeneration. We, yeah. So let me we say gotta, this. Let me say this because it's going to be a lot past to you. Um, so I'm going to be the, the um, imaginary person asking you these questions again, going back to our intro. So Quattro, you wrote this book on regeneration. Um, Danny and us, we're, we're all talking about this grace. That means then I can believe this, and then I'm, I'm set. I can do what I want, correct? I can continue to live in my sin, let right? Me, let me tell you a story about a sow and a cat. Just the illustration. He says he brought it, but it's, uh, it's, uh, he says a cat. I'm going to see if I can summarize it. But basically a cat cleans itself you know you you see a cat stays clean and all those things you say well you can clean a sow you can a a pig uh for those not from arkansas uh you can you can clean for those city folk oh city folk you can can clean up a pig and you can get it real clean but as soon as you let that thing go what's it gonna do it's gonna go back to the mud 
go go Waller. Yeah, and so that's that's what you're saying. Like the other person, well, I just believe I'll, I'll just believe that I'll just believe these, and I'll go live in the mud. Yeah. No, your your problem is you're you're, you're by nature you're still a pig. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, yeah. Uh, Spurgeon essentially says the only way you can get a, a pig to act like a cat is if you change it into a cat. Yeah. Mm. You know, and that's that's his point. He he says basically, good luck training the sow how to clean itself. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be funny. That'd make a good YouTube show. Well, you know they you know they do that because they don't sweat. I found out about a month ago, pigs don't sweat, and I I was just thrown off. I was like, you know what? They don't sweat. I've never seen a pig sweat. <laughs> what an interesting avenue we have now ventured on. But but yeah, but that's the point. Yeah, when God changes us, <laughs> if if you say, man, oh. This free grace, I embrace it. So now I'm going to go back and 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 live in the mire of the world. Like, no, you hadn't. God forbid. Yeah, you right. ha- you God haven't understood it because people can read this in our area, in mm-hmm. our churches. They can read chapters one through five. I agree. I agree. I know. I know. Mm-hmm. God does justify mm-hmm. the ungodly. Mm-hmm. Um, I am ungodly. God did. We're justify all sinners. Me. Yeah. And then they don't get to chapter six, the deliverance from sin, because they're still living in their sin. So they'll yeah. they'll hold on to the free grace of God for the ungodly, but they don't want anything to do with deliverance from sin. Justification without sanctification would not be salvation. Man, there, there it is. Simply put. C.H. Spurgeon. And he says on page 25. <laughs> That's a famous quote, too. Uh, we can never be happy, restful, or spiritually healthy till we become holy. Yeah. So the world is searching for happiness. And it's never going to find it. You know, people will deceive you based off of their Facebook and Instagram and make it seem like they're happy. But the truth is their mind is eat up with the next photogenic moment. They're they're constantly living for the likes. Speaking of that. And retweets. (laughs) Uh, Which you can take some, whatever. But they they claim and they try to look as if, but then that would throw off his identity. (laughs) And then you're going to get him killed because he's talking about how God hates sinners. Um, (laughs) Yeah. The I world, for, I for, yeah, yeah. I forgot. See, I got his back, yeah. brother. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot that we were talking about Gunner. Praise God, made well. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's got. He's got a tattoo on his chest. Praise God. <laughs> the world wants happiness. The world wants rest. The world wants health. You hear all the time. You know now it's emotional health. That's the big fad was mental health, now it's emotional health. Uh, And and often claims that it doesn't want religion, it doesn't want Christianity because it wants happiness. Spurgeon says you can't have those things unless you have holiness. Amen. But he's also condemning the self-righteous. Still, he's not forgetting them. You can't have holiness unless you have justification. Yeah. But somebody like, "I, I just could never be happy I just could never be happy in giving my Sundays to the Lord. Could never be happy just reading the scriptures with my family or doing evangelism. Like I could never be happy. That that goes back to what regeneration is. Yeah. It yeah. it changes us, you know. And and I'm not to get too far ahead, but I love, I love, I love this this is one of the greatest statements. Get ahead. That's like I want I want to 
maybe I want to put this in like uh, the 1689 or something like, cause it's such a good statement. You know, that's like, he says, and this is right before chapter seven, he says, he quotes like the sinner saying this, I cannot make this change. Says yeah. one who said you could the scripture, which we have quoted speaks not of what man will do, but of what God will do. It is God's yeah. promise. And it is for him to fulfill his own engagements. Trust in him to fulfill his word to you, and it will be done. But how is it to be done? Yep, this is it. And he says, what business is that of yours? <laughs> Must the Lord explain his methods before you will believe him? Come on. The Lord's working in this mm. matter is a great mystery. The Holy Ghost performs it. He who made the promise has the responsibility of keeping the promise, and he is equal to the occasion. God, who promises this marvelous change, will assuredly carry it out in all who receive Jesus, for to all such he gives power to become the sons of God. Oh, that you would believe it. And, and the reason I joke, you know, is because I, I think the 1689 does so good yeah. in some of its chapters, yeah, yeah. you know, like, about these things. It's like this is such a, a, a great addition, a great add-on here to be like, look, you, you know, Spurgeon's like, believe. And they're like, well, I can't believe, you know. I was like, and you're just telling me God's sovereign and all that. And like, I can't explain all this. And Spurgeon's like, it's not up to you to explain it. Right. It's your responsibility before yeah. God to believe it and trust Christ. Yes. And in a mysterious way, I can't explain it other than just to say what the, the scriptures say, but in a mysterious yeah. way, you know, those who trust Christ, it's because God worked in you first to, to bring you you know, into it to a same way. I actually think probably for a lot of people, I think that, you know, they have this point that they say they're converted, you know, and that's true. Right. But right. I think probably for a lot of people, like for example, for Bunyan, I think probably that there are people, they're actually converted before they actually realize, you know what I'm saying? Like for sure. Cause Bunyan's sure. like wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. And I think, um, back, back to Biggie's book, there's there's a difference between having faith and knowing you have faith. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like what I mean is like there's a difference between believing faith, or maybe I should put it this way, faith and assurance of faith are two different things. Yeah. And yeah. so in this mysterious way, God works in his elect to bring them to that to to that uh that re he regenerates them and to bring them to faith. And, and and Spurgeon's telling us readers, it's not your responsibility to figure this out, how all this works. It's your responsibility to trust Christ. Yeah. And I know yeah. people will be like, trust well, why do you say, if you believe this, why are you telling people this? Isn't God just going to do it? And this gets back to the whole reason Spurgeon writes this and everything. He's like, God is going to do it. Yes, that's true. He's going to do it through means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the means by which God is going to just, uh, justify the ungodly is is Christ, and then the heralding of Christ from the church. Yes, yeah. I think of First uh, Peter chapter two. First uh, Peter one and two have been on my mind for a few years now. Really, um, great chapters, great book of the Bible, um, where Peter is almost he's almost got it switched purely to old testament citation mode it's like just citation after citation after citation he should have unhitched <laughs> yeah <laughs> whoopsies <laughs> that peter that he would add a lot bigger church <laughs> yeah oh man unhitched. you spitting now 
I'm we're getting woke up finally. Which <laughs> I got that. I'm drinking the coffee. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. Ready. Parenthetical. We realize now what happened from the same person who claimed you got to hit unhitch from the Old Testament. We realize where that ends. You end up just unhitching the whole Bible. Right. As he has done. Right. Uh, but that's a conversation elsewhere. Uh, or, or not. But. Well, yeah, we're probably <laughs> about to talk about it right now. We already mentioned his name, but um, <laughs> what are y'all laughing at? Just, just is funny. I th- yeah, I'm I, just laughing at the, this. The, I'm, I'm just laughing at him. I misunderstood his uh, comment. I thought his comment was like you were like conversation elsewhere, and he's like, or not. I think as like, yeah, as let's like, not let's have, have that. Let's not have oh, that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's you, were, what and you were taking it as. Okay, not okay. You mean not yeah. later? Now, yeah. you know? and I thought he was taking like nah, no, not, let's not, let's just not, not at all. No, not what at all. I was meaning yeah. was, I said we can have that later, and then I was thinking, no, we're about to mention it again and talk about it, so might as well have the conversation now. It's like all those times in Lex Direction said, "Well, not to get political." Then Danny goes on a ten minute political, <laughs> 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 not to go political again, but but uh, Kamala. <laughs> Anyways, no. Um, um, First Peter chapter 2, he, he has this beautiful way of Old Testament citation where he combines justification and sanctification. And sometimes it's not even in that order. Sanctification because of justification and then switch swap. You're sanctified because you're justified. You're justified and now be sanctified kind of thing. I, I love it. But he, he talks about how we are this spiritual Israel. We are the royal nation. Come on. We are the holy yeah. priesthood. Reformed Baptist right here. We Amen. are the people that are offering spiritual sacrifices to God. And then he says, why? Because you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light mm-hmm. to proclaim the excellencies of him. So, two things there. Um, the the side note from that is people say, "Well, I just don't want to share my faith. I just don't want to preach the gospel." That's there's specific people who do that. I'm not called to do that. Actually, if you're part of the nation, you're part of the proclaimers. You cannot help but proclaim the excellencies of God because He has saved you. Now, again, there's a distinction between pastors and and uh, the layman, of course, but we can't help but proclaim God. But as it pertains to chapter 6, you cannot help but live a holy life because God has called you into his kingdom. Yeah. You're not a sow yeah. anymore. You're not a sow anymore. Because you are no longer a spiritual Gentile, but you are spiritual Israel, because he has justified you, because he has snatched you out of darkness and placed you into his marvelous light, you are holy holy nation, royal priesthood, a part of the priesthood that offers sacrifices to God. There's no way that you're not uh, because he has changed your identity. Yeah. And by changing your identity, he's changed your actions, which, of course. Change your heart, change your nature. Right. Your desires. Yeah, that's a different conversation. Your will, your nature, your desires. He says this. Uh, remember that the Lord Jesus came to take away sin in three ways. He came to remember. He came to remove the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. Good Baptist alliteration. 
Yeah. You, you stole it from me as usual. Oh, you were going to do it? Yeah. I don't, um, I don't consider it stealing. It's yeah, Baptist yeah, yeah. plagiarism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good Baptist plagiarism. <laughs> Man, we're going in. He, said, he says that you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, 1 John 3, 5. The angel said of our Lord, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1, 21. And then throughout the chapter, he also uh, relies on Ezekiel 36, 26. A new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Here's a point that I would want to make. I would want to make here is that um, as much as he preached what what we might come what, what we might call come as you are. Um, I think he even says that in a previous yeah, chapter, yeah. Come, you know, come as you are. Um in chapter 6, uh, talking about removal of sin, he's, he says that, look, Christ calls you uh, and offers you the grace, uh, calls you to believe upon his grace just, just as you are. You can't clean yourself up. You can't justify yourself. In fact, that's a prerequisite. But Christ does not leave you where you are. Amen. And I think that that's another big distinction as well when we're talking about modern-day evangelism or modern-day Christianity, that can be a helpful corrective, is that um, in our gospel proclamation, we are calling sinners, not not saints, to believe upon the gospel in evangelism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call saints to believe... What well, Saints are called to believe upon the gospel. It's still our life. It's still our life, our... Uh, uh, you know, it's still our it's still our bread of life. We believe upon the gospel every day. Uh, there's an aspect though of people wanting to preach, come as you are, come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. Uh, but this regeneration, they don't preach regeneration. It's you know, God accepts you as you are. It's like yes, but He does not keep you where you are uh he uh he changes you christ you know christ will change you go and sin no more exactly and and let me let me say this this is the if if i may otherwise it's cheap grace yeah otherwise cheap grace what do you actually have cheap free don't mean cheap free free is not cheap that's good i want to yeah that that this is why the the biblical understanding of God's people is the Ref, the Reformed Baptist is the, is the right view. I uh, our, our our Presbyterian friends and our dispensational friends now they don't like it when I say it this way, but they both have the same error. It's rooted in the same error, and that error is that the physical people of God are the people of God. Right. And right, right. the dispensational says, you know, like one well, Israel, you know, physical people and the Presbyterian would say, you know, the children, you know, but it's the reformed Baptist view that understands only those who have experienced what Danny just got through talking about are in the new covenant. That's what it means. That's the promise of Jeremiah that, 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 that they'll yeah. know God and, and, yeah. and, and that, He'll remember their sins no more. That's what it looks like. It's only those who are in the new covenant. Mm-hmm. 
You so. would open this can just at the end. Or just at the end, but yeah, just there you go. But, but, yeah. but I'm just saying, hey, look, I love I love <laughs> both camps I just mentioned. I love them. There are there and, are and there are closest brothers. There are brothers yeah, and, there I, are and closest I'm, I'm brothers, yeah. Hey, look, I'm ready. We're going to spend time in prison with them, you know, whatever, you know, but but uh, cuz I'm not post meal. But uh but uh <laughs> <laughs> There's another. Just another hit them kid. all. Just hit them all. Boom boom. I'm so over, over. Yeah, on the yeah, way yeah. out, I'm going to drop some grenades. <laughs> but but the reality is and and I love them, but the reality is this this is why we're right. Because this is what the new covenant promises. Yep. Uh, in closing, y'all, which we can close whenever y'all want. I know you got to leave soon. I got to leave. Y'all can, y'all can keep hanging out with me. Hey, y'all started without no, me. It, you can finish without me. We got to bounce, <laughs> but, um, I, I, I do want to give a plug here. Oh yeah. Um, y'all got a, y'all got me, an event. Let me say this real yeah. quick before that, but the, the quote pertaining to this in the words of Bunyan, uh, I'm paraphrasing here. He says, I realized that the kingdom of heaven had room for one. It, 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 he, the kingdom of heaven had room for me, but didn't have room for me and my sin. Mm. Bunyan for the win again. Kingdom Amen. of God has no room for our sin, brothers. Yeah. Amen. Anyways, here's the plug. Turn it over. Yeah, I was just going to say, my as much as we as we've uh, picked on him, the mysterious man in the room that no one can see or hear, but Gunner has this ministry that he's this new thing he started called preaching and preachers. And what he wants to do is give men the opportunity to preach. Yeah. And we have a lot, we have a big um, situation in many churches where young men maybe feel called to preach, but don't have a lot of opportunity to right. preach. Right. And so Gunner, I said, and he came to me about it. He talked to me about it. I said, you just got to run with this because I don't have time. I can't. Yeah. You, you want to do this? Let's do it. And so he's doing it. It's called Preaching and Preachers. And the inaugural uh, date of this is going to be April 15th, tax day. But uh, basically, if, if you're a young man, you feel called to preach. Now, there's some things you need to fill out. Like, it's not just open. Like, we got to know that <laughs> some things about you. Promise not to preach heresy. Well, you know, there's some <laughs> things that, you know. But basically, the idea. At least, at least try. And an opportunity <laughs> for young men to preach and then get feedback. And yeah. when I say young men, that's loose to it. It doesn't necessarily have to be young men. New preachers. Yeah, new yeah. preachers that, that yeah. feel called to preach, but they don't have a lot of opportunity to preach. And they would like to preach. And they would like to maybe hear some feedback from some godly brothers. So you can, uh, I, I I guess I'll just say this: if you if you're on Twitter, Gunner is at uh, at Gunner, G U N N E R underscore Madewell. That's his last name, really. M A D E W E L L. So you can look him up there. And if you want more information about that, you can check him out. But I just wanted to uh, just wanted to give that plug. I think it's going to be a good deal. I don't know what it's going to look like yet. We hadn't done it. But I think I'm I'm encouraged by Gunner taking the bull by the horns and running with it, and we'll we'll see what happens. And I always appreciate you, brothers, even even early in the morning. Yeah, yeah, we see that <laughs> by you showing up. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> well, Quattro, it was good having you on, brother. Um, listeners, be on the lookout for a change of heart coming out. Um, and then in the meantime, you can pick up two other books that Quattro has written. Um, don't Google Quattro, Google Alan Nelson, the fourth, uh, before the throne and then from death to life. So you Thanks, can be reading brother. those in the meantime. Yeah. Thank you for having, coming on, uh, Quattro D2, T Ford in the background, Gunner Madewell and CD coming at you recording direct from the classic cast. Where we just